We're continuing from last week looking at what we titled, What Love Is This? What kind of love do we encounter when we come to the person of Jesus Christ? And most of you know your Bibles. You know what kind of love that is. But I want to dive in a little bit more detail, a little deeper, if you will, looking through the Word of God and what it has to say in this month of February. We're in February, right? Okay. And uh, what love is this? It's a radically different love than what we're used to, isn't it? It's a radically different love than what I give to people. And I'm so thankful for that. Okay, let's go down to verse 14, if you will, please. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ, notice what he says, constraineth us. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which, should, or which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, he says. Yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Underline that. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. And the greatest gospel verse, I believe, is verse 21. For he, God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, you and me, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Isn't that beautiful? I want to talk today again about what love is this. This love that we see is very, very fascinating. I heard of the old fella that he came to church and it was anniversary Sunday. And he stood up in the back and the pastor said, I want to recognize Brother Johnson. Brother Johnson has had a long marriage and him and his wife have been so faithful to each other. He said, how many years now, brother? He said, 49 years. Wow, amazing. He said, well, what did you do for your 49th wedding anniversary? He said, well, I took my wife and I got her flowers. I bought her some nice things. I got her a nice new, uh, brand new diamond ring. And then I said, I bought her, brought her two tickets to Europe. We went over to Europe and the congregation is, what a man. Wow. What are you going to do for your 50th? He says, I got to go pick her up. So don't be that way. I got to go get her. Left her in Europe. Did, did you guys get that? Okay. So, all right. We see a love today that God gives to us. Now notice what he says with me back in verse 14. We'll get through this. I promise not to be very long today. I want to get over there starting already to smell that food. Okay. For the love of Christ, notice the wording, constraineth us. Now that word constrain is a very interesting word. You, if you think about it, I always think when I hear that word, I think of a straight jacket. I don't know why. <laughs> it's constraining. It means to compel, to force. In fact, it means to press urgently. He says, it compels me when I think about what God did for me, what Christ died for me. This love constrains me. That then, he goes on to say, that I henceforth not live for myself, but now I live for Him. See, that's the kind of love you ought to understand. A true love changes you, not from the outside, but on the inside. It changes who you are. Number one, I have the constraining of this love. The constraining. In fact, in Acts Chapter 4, verse 20, you recall that, uh, in fact, Peter and John were arrested. you remember that? They got arrested and they brought him before the council and all these things. And they said, now, now after we're going to punish you and then we're going to command you not to preach anymore. And so they went ahead and just beat these guys up, whipped them a little bit. 
And then they let him go and said, now, now, don't say anything else about Jesus now. Now, don't go out and say anything about the Lord. And what do they respond with? We can't help but speak the things that we've seen and heard. And then they said prior to that, it says they took knowledge of them that they'd been with Jesus when they realized they were ignorant, unlearned people. And that's just a slap in the face. You guys are country bumpkins. You don't know nothing. But we do know one thing. You've been with Jesus. I love that. Again, let me remind you, Paul reminds the church in 1 Corinthians that God doesn't use the mighty. God doesn't use the really intellectual people, per se. He doesn't use all of those things. He uses the foolish to what? Confound the wise. He uses the mighty things, or the weak things to confound the mighty. And I'm so thankful for that. I said it last week, but I'll say it again. I am so appreciative of verses like that because I know this. God does his best work with somebody like me. Amen? God does his best work with a church like ours. We're just saying, listen, uh, Lord, you know where we are. You know what we have. We don't have very much, God, but you can do something with us. It's a constraining love. We can't help but speak what we've seen and heard. I can't help it. I can't help it. Now, let me say this again. We're coming down to the wire, I believe, of some great persecution coming to the church in these latter days. Do you believe that? And this is what's going to make or break us. This is what's going to weed out the fake, fraudulent Christians, the wannabes that show up every once in a while to church and that occasionally flip open their Bible when they get a little bit of heartache and pain in their lives. They're going to weed that out because they're going to come to us and say, you don't preach this, you don't speak this unless... And we're going to say, well, we can't but help it. I can't help it. It's a constraining love. When I realize what Christ did for me, what He's done for me... Realize this today. Oh, there's so many verses with this. It's a constraining love that gives us and brings us back to where uh, we're supposed to be. He talks about some of this in, back in chapter number 4. He talks about, uh, oh, I don't know where I was going to go with that. Uh, okay, I'll come back to it maybe next week. But he talks about how the, this love is constraining. It brings him to this point. He talks about it in Philippians chapter 3. You recall, he says, listen, all the things that I was. I was a Jew of the Jew, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I persecuting, my zeal was persecuting the church. I literally led people to their death. He was a murderer. And he says what? I count all of that but dung. That I may win Christ. I'll do it all for Christ. Notice what he says this. Constraining love. He says then secondly, because we thus judge, that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Judging. Let me say again. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one says, if we should judge ourselves, we don't have to be judged of God. That's called Christian maturity. God isn't always, Holy Spirit's not always holding our hands. Oh, don't watch that again now. Remember, you're not supposed to watch that. <laughs> Remember, don't say that now. Remember, don't respond that way. Okay, come on now, get up and read. Come on, read your Bible. Turn that off and read it. He doesn't have to always do that. He says, if we'll judge ourselves, we don't have to be judged. As your children grow, you know that. You're hoping that if everything is working and functioning up here properly, you're hoping that they will get to a point where you don't always have to say, Go clean your room. Okay, clean yourself up. Okay, feed yourself. There's maturity happening to where they can begin to feed themselves. He says, if we judge, if we sit down and think about and consider, some other words used in Scripture, a consideration, we judge it. Jesus said, don't judge or judge no man. We know that. I talked to one fellow, I've said this before, and I was talking to him, and uh, he said, I said, sir, do you know you're saved? He said, no. I said, do you realize that you're a sinner and that all of us need salvation? He said, you can't judge me like that. You don't know me. I said, no, I don't. He said, only God can judge me. I said, that's true. I said, but you don't want God to judge you. That's not a good thing. Only God can judge me. You don't want God to judge you. You think about it. We are not to judge. We are to judge righteous judgment. That's what Jesus says. 
Now, righteous judgment is this. We judge what we see in regards to if it's sin, it's sin. If it's not, it's not. He says don't judge motives. That's the key. Well, they're coming to church because they want to. You don't know that. Well, they gave that money because they probably, you don't know that. That's motives. We don't judge that. We judge righteous judgment. We follow through with this. And he goes on to say what? That great famous quote that he gives, Jesus. Don't go and try and pick the little splinter out of your friend's eye when you've got a telephone pole coming out yours. You make sure and judge yourself first. Okay, before I criticize pastor, before I criticize the church, before I criticize Joe Blow or Susie Q, before I criticize whoever it is in your life, before I criticize my spouse or my wife, I better take some inventory and think about what I'm doing. Because I want to tell you, you're going to fall so, so short. He says we judge this. We stop and we think about what God has done. Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 16, he says, Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. That word woe, W-O-E in the Bible, look it up in your concordance. Every time it's used, it's not a good thing. It's a negative thing. Woe is me. Woe unto you. And Jesus lists all the cities. You remember that? Because if I would have come to another city, if I would have come to a city like Sodom and Gomorrah and preached what I preached, they would have repented. But I came to my own hometown. I came to Capernaum. I came to the cities of Galilee, and you guys rejected me. In fact, so far that you tried to push me off the side of a cliff. He says, woe unto you. In the last days, in the time of judgment, woe unto these cities. I believe today we ought to have a woe in front of America. Woe unto America. We're in a mess today, folks. Mess. We couldn't find our way out of a wet paper sack if we tried. I mean, we don't know what we're doing. You think about today, woe unto America. Paul says, woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. Why? Because the love is constraining to me when I consider or I judge what God did for me. My friends today, you ought to take some time to stop and think about what Jesus did for you. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget who you were. I always try, I shouldn't say always, I try to on a consistent basis, think back of what I was. Because it's a pathetic state of being, isn't it? You remember back where you were? Some of you that grew up in a nice Christian home and had things given to you and had all... Yeah, but you were still a sinner. And the thoughts you had and the things you were involved with and the women you crowded around with and etc. and etc. You think about that. Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel, he says. Why? I judge, I sit and think about what he did for me. Oh, can I say secondly, because I must move ahead. Not only the constraining, but there's the consideration. The consideration. If one died for all, then we're all dead. I love it. Verse 15. And that he died for all, here it is, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Who do you live for today? You're living for self? It's pretty shallow, isn't it? We've got to work and make money. We've got to provide. But it gets pretty shallow sometimes. When you consider what he's done, there's a consideration of what he's done. Verse 21 is another very, very well-known verse. It's called the Great Exchange. Martin Luther coined that. The great Martin Luther from the Reformation, he coined it. And verse 20 says, the Great Exchange. What is it? It's that he gave his life for mine, that I may be made the righteousness of God. When you consider what God has done, you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, consider the lilies of the field. They toil not, neither do they spin. They don't jump up and dance around. No, what do they do? They're beautiful in themselves. And he says, consider the lilies of the field, because Solomon was not arrayed like they are in all of his wealth. He went down in history, comparable to today's money exchange. He was the wealthiest man to ever live. He literally had diamonds on his walkway up to his throne. He used gold 
as pavement, <laughs> as asphalt. This man was so wealthy. And God says, Jesus says, he wasn't arrayed like one of these. He goes on to say, consider what? The ravens of the field. I've said before, but have you ever watched these birds? They're crazy. These, these crows. Do you have crows at your house? Some of you have crows. They're all over the place. You have a lot of crows. They're crazy. And I, and I don't think I'm delusional, but one day I was out there working in the yard, and the one was up in the tree, and he started squawking at me. And I looked up, and so I squawked back. Yeah, and uh, my kid said, what are you doing? I said, oh, nothing. <laughs> you ever get caught talking to yourself? You know? I was talking to myself one day in the car, and I looked over, and this little old lady was staring at me. I said, how you doing? So I rolled down my window, and she, she sped off. I was going to say hi to her, you know, invite her to church. The raven said, and I said, Rah! and it squawked back. I said, okay. They're weird birds, aren't they? They're called mimic birds. They're actually part of the family that can mimic. You ever seen the crows? By the way, on these cartoons, these little Disney movies and stuff, you always find a crow sitting on the evil person's shoulder, right? But they can mimic what you say. And Jesus says, consider them. Because why? They don't go out and plant seed and they take a little water in their beak and go drop it in the hole and then with their feet push the dirt back over and then just sit there and wait for it to grow. He says, no, no, no. I provide for them. I give them the meat. I give them the food. I give them the water. I take care of them. By the way, you got to study the raven in the Bible. It was some ravens that came and brought uh, Elijah some food. They went over and took meat off the table of the king when they were in the middle of a dearth or in the middle of a starvation period in the kingdom. They took meat off the king and brought it out to the man of God in the wilderness. God used them in a great way. Consider. See, if you'll just stop sometimes and smell the roses and look around a little bit and stop being so hustle and bustle here and there, everywhere you go, back and forth to Albuquerque, here you go, same route every day. Get home, say the same thing to your wife. How was your day? Fine, good. How was your day? How are the kids? Pretty good. How was school? You ever find it's Groundhog Day? It's just over and over and over. Same day every day. Take some time, and I want to say something. The one thing that will help you to consider what's going on in your life, the one thing that will help you is spending time in the Bible. Spending time with God, because when you get down and pray to Him alone, He'll start to remind you of things that you need to do and how to take care of it. Consider. I love that. The consideration. Do you consider? Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 3 says, Consider Him that endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest ye be weary and faint in your mind. Consider Jesus. Oh, it's so hard, God, I can't do it. Well, consider Jesus. I started to bemoan and complain one day, and uh, I got a notification on my phone of an email. So I looked it up, and it was one of our missionaries. He sent me one of his prayer letters. He said, uh, hello, Pastor Travis, uh, good to see you. We, uh, we walked a few miles today to church in the rain. And then another missionary sent me one and said, uh, hello, Pastor Travis, uh, Wanted to let you know we just got a bus, a giant school bus. Somebody donated to us because 95% of our people walk to church. So now we can go pick them all up. And I said, oh, I'm so pathetic. Complaining, complaining, complaining. These people walk two to three miles to church. Some of you live five minutes away. Some of us live about four, five, six, seven, eight, ten minutes away. Think about that. See, if you'll stop and consider sometimes what you have, you realize something, that there's always somebody who has it better than you, and there's always somebody who has it worse than you. Don't ever forget that. And it, send, it tends to just kind of uh, tighten things up for us. Okay, I don't have it as bad. Thank God I'm here today. He says, consider and stop and think about what he's done. Now think about this. If he died for us, then we should live henceforth unto themselves. I love the word henceforth. It means from here on out. Peter reminds the people in his epistles of 1 and 2 Peter. He says this, and really condensing it. 
But he says, from this time forward, you ought to live in the will of God and no longer in the lust of the flesh. Now, again, he was speaking to middle-aged and older people. The rest of the time you have, how much time do you got left? None of us know that. None of us know that. Our casket could be in town today. We don't know that. Henceforth, from here on out, live for God and live for Christ. Why? Because I understand what he did for me. By the way, this, what we call the crucified life, Galatians 2.20 says, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live, what? I live to him for his glory. This life is not a depressing, sacrificial type of a life. That's what people believe. It's actually a much better life, to put it very simply, a much better life. Your marriage will only improve. I'll give you a little counseling with Brother Tim one-on-one. It will only improve when you both submit to Christ. When you both are collect, both together going towards Christ, you inevitably get closer to each other. That's how it works. Your finances will get better. Now, it may not make you more money, but you will realize where money's place should be in your life. Down here, not here. When you follow, what I'm saying, when you submit your life to Him, when you consider, Paul says, listen, I could have made a lot of money. I could have been something special. I could have gone. But I'd rather sit and rot in a uh, rat-infested prison cell and be whipped on almost a daily or weekly basis because of what He's done for me. Paul was the hap- one of the happiest people you would ever meet. You sometimes don't read that in Scripture, but you know it's true. When he came to town, as one pastor said, he didn't look for the finest hotel. Where's the local hotel? What does he say? Uh, Where's the local prison? Why do you want to know that? I'll probably be there tonight, right? (laughs) What kind of facilities do they have? But he was a happy man. He talks later about the joy of the Lord and the peace. I want to encourage you today to consider, to wait. The psalmist says, wait on the Lord. Again, I say, wait on the Lord. That means to stop and consider what he's done. The word used later would be ponder. You sit and ponder, consider. There's another word in Scripture called muse, M-U-S-E. It's used only, I think, twice in the Bible. If you were to take an A and put it in front of it, you'd have amuse. Amuse means not to think. Amuse means to be entertained. When you're entertained, you don't have to think. You just sit back, kick your feet up, and go, entertain me. That's what we're going to do today watching that stinking football game. Entertain me. By the way, uh, turn that thing off at halftime. Amen? Nasty. Amuse. The Bible says muse. Muse means to stop and think. The psalmist puts it that way. When I muse, when I think about what God's done, David goes on to say, when I consider the heavens and all that you've done, the stars and the moon and all the things that you've ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of? Me. Little old me in the backside of nowhere. God loves you unconditionally. I must hurry here. Number three, the creation. The creation, notice verse 17, there's a new creature. Therefore, because of what he's done, Therefore, because of his love, if any man be in Christ, that means saved, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. This is the transformation of the human soul. Now remember, there's two words used in Scripture, reformation and transformation. The world pushes reformation, reforming it. Taking the same thing, but redoing it again. That's what we do with our penal system and other things like that. We take an individual... And we reform them. Okay, same person, same understanding, and let's just redo it. No, the Bible talks about transformation, which is completely different. Metamorphosis is the word. It means to literally be born again. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and says, how can I be born again? He says, can I go in the second time into my mother's womb? Being sarcastic, being a little bit, uh, uh, little bit of sarcastic to Jesus. Jesus said, no. He says, in fact, you need to be born again. The word there, regened. Literally, regene. You're born again. New creature. Can I ask you today? You a new creature in Christ. 
Same old, same old. You just kind of tried to clean yourself up a little bit. Only lasts so long, doesn't it? Clean myself up a little bit. Change my clothes. Get a little haircut. Do something. Get cleaned up. That doesn't make you a Christian. Doesn't make you something special. I had one guy ask me, uh, "What's your church about?" I told him. He said, "Well, what do you what do you require us to wear to church?" I said, "Oh, nothing, sir. Just come in your blue jeans and your shirt. Don't matter." Oh, okay. Oh, I thought you'd be a real conservative type of church. I said, "Well, we are, but I said we come as you are, but don't leave as you were." See, that's the problem. Most churches today come as you are and leave as you were. Change. There's something different about you. Now think about this. It's not the outside exterior per se. It's what? It's an internal thing. Old things are passed away. I mean, they're old. They're in the history. They're in the past. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself. Wonderful. There's the new creation. Ephesians 4.24 talks about the new man. We put off the old. Put on the. In fact, let's go there before I misquote it. Ephesians 4.24. Notice this. Go forward in your Bible just a little bit. And 4.24 he says, And that ye put on the new man. You see that? Which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be ye angry, sin not. Let not the sin go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands, a thing which is good, that he may have... To give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed in the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Did you catch all that? That's a new man. These are all the characteristics of a new man. Paul tells Timothy in the latter times, there's going to be characteristics of the evil man. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers. He goes on and on. He concludes it with this, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Isn't that society today? It, it, it's like pulling teeth sometimes to get people just to come into church. It's like trying to get, okay, come on now, come on now. Vast majority of the world, it's not even 12 o'clock and they're already half cocked. <laughs> They've already, they're, I mean, they're about two shots, three shots down already. They're all ready to go. The game doesn't start till 4.30. That's our world today. Church? I asked one guy, hey, fella, how you doing today? Just want to invite you to our church. Church? He said, I said, oh, you never heard of church? <laughs> he said, yeah, but I'm, no one's ever invited me to church. You wouldn't want me in church. <laughs> he said the building would fall in if I showed up. I said, no, sir. I said, you got to come meet some of our folks. Look at me. I'm a new man in Christ. I tried to joke with him a little bit. He hasn't come yet. Pray for him. I hope he comes. What do you think about it? The, the, the creation. Now, let me hasten here because i got to wrap it up. There is the new man made in Christ. There's a transformation. Paul says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's a transformation process. And I want to encourage you with this. If you're not saved today, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I know I sound like a broken record, but that's my job and responsibility. And if you hear nothing else today, hear this. God wants to save you. Jesus Christ has open arms to you, doesn't he? That's what he does. He is not willing, meaning that's not his will, that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's his will, that you be saved. See, it's not this hard, forced thing. No, it's actually easy. Jesus is saying, here, I'm open. <laughs> 
And again, I'd love to take the Bible after the service today and show you how to be saved. Okay? If you are saved today, the vast majority of you are. Are you living for Christ? Is there something different in your life that people can say, I knew he was a Christian. I knew it. I told a friend many, many years ago, but I told him, uh, I'm now a Christian. He said, you're a Christian? How long have you been a Christian? I said, well, about, I got saved about two years ago. He said, really? I couldn't tell. <laughs> I thought, well, gee, thanks. Can they tell you're a Christian? And it was my fault because I, uh, I was still trying to get out of some things. I was still struggling with my mouth and foul language and other things I was really trying to work at. And I should have done a lot better in reaching him. But he said, I couldn't tell. I wouldn't have guessed. Do people know there's something different about you? Oh, I'm crucified, he says. Romans 6, he talks about the old man is crucified. We're to mortify the deeds of the flesh, he says. And let me say number four, and we'll conclude here. There's the commission given to us, the Great Commission. Back in 2 Corinthians 5, if you will, and we'll conclude here. I want you to see this. He says in verse 19, to wit. Now think about it. That means to think, to wit, to think, to consider that God was in Christ. We call that the deity of Christ. There's a lot of denominations today that refute the deity of Jesus Christ. They believe he was a good teacher. They believe he was a good prophet, but they do not believe he was God manifested in the flesh. Okay, that's heretical, blasphemous teaching. The Bible is very clear. Jesus, you may disagree, I don't know, but I hope you understand this. Jesus was God manifested in the flesh. Okay, 1 Timothy talks about it. Clearly, he did not come up out of the water at his baptism. John pulled him up out of the water, and the dove came down, and he realized suddenly that I am the Son of God. That's what the movie back in the 70s, guy with long blonde hair and blue eyes. You're just, what? That's not Jesus. He didn't realize that when he came up out of the water. We know it was from before eternity passed, if you want to say it that way. God had this plan. God was, in the, God was in Christ reconciling the world into himself. You know what the word reconcile means? Restoring friendship or harmony. You ever had to reconcile your checkbook or your bank account or your statements? What are you doing? You take all of the transactions, you line them up, and you find any discrepancies. Honey, did you go to Chick-fil-A 15 times? Last? Yeah. She was, did you go to Lauderburger like four times? Not me. Somebody stole our card. Something. Yeah, I did. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You reconcile and you find any discrepancies. And then it's bad when I go. I cannot go. I'm just warning you folks. You're like, some of you like me. I can't go in a gun store. I can't go in there. Bad things happen. I buy stuff I shouldn't buy. <laughs> I can't go in there. You think, you reconcile. What are you doing? Are there any discrepancies here? Yeah. And here's me. And here's God. And he lines them up. Oh, and it's pathetic. It's bad. It's really bad. All this sin in my life, all the things I thought about this week, all the bad things, all the stuff I shouldn't have done and said, oh, and the, the failure, the disobedience, the laziness, and the lackadaisicalness and the things of God lined up to a holy and righteous God. And he says, it's okay. It's reconciled. What? What do you mean? I've done all the work. I've done it all. You don't have to worry about that. But now that you understand that I've reconciled you, you need to become a new creation and you need to work at it. Listen, it's not that you fall asleep and wake up the next day and you're saved and everything's new. You know that. All of us do, right? It's a tough life to live because you're battling the world flesh and the devil and you're battling the carnal spirit and that carnal heart that you once had and you're trying to work with God's help and the Holy Spirit's help, you can be successful. But it's when you come back to this. When I consider what you've done for me. Now to think about, he says, and hath committed unto us, notice the word of reconciliation. So if you're reconciled, you need to 
tell others. Because here's the problem that I find more often than not. When I go out and share the gospel, I don't do a very good job, but I, I sure try to do my best. When I go out and share the gospel with these people, you know what the number one thing they say? I'm not good enough. I haven't been what I should be. I have to work for my salvation. Have you heard that before? And most people believe, if they're even just kind of knowledgeable about the Bible, you know what they believe? And this is what we used to believe. When I get to heaven, or whatever that great day is, there's a giant balance in the sky. And my name is at the top, in the middle. All my good is on this side, and all my evil is on this side. And if my good outweighs my bad, come on in, brother. That's not what the Bible teaches, does it? For all have come short of the glory of God. Every one of us are sinners that come short of the glory of God. Okay, the next question was to Paul, how do I work for that then? How do I bridge the gap from sin to God? He says, well, you can't do that. Ephesians chapter 2, he says this, Ye who were dead in trespasses and sins, hath he bridged the gap. He is our propitiation. John says in 1 John, that word propitiation means satisfied payment. It means you get a piece of paper, it's a bill, but on the top it's stamped in red. Satisfied payment. Paid in full. Do I have to, anything I need to pay? No, nope, it's already paid for you. That's what Jesus did. That's what he does. So therefore, if we're reconciled, we have been committed, notice the wording, committed unto us, the commission, to bring the world, to reconcile others. Verse 20, and let's close out. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Now, what's an ambassador? It's a man, for instance, from America, that has been commissioned by our government to go to another nation, a foreign nation, and represent America. He doesn't go over there and change his whole citizenship to Russia. He doesn't go over there and change his everything over to Russia. I'm, I'm now a Russian. That's defeating the purpose, isn't it? He's over there as a representative of America to the Russians or Brazilians or wherever he is. He's commissioned by the United States government to go over there in, obviously, times of peace, to follow through with what he's been given. And now then, if we are reconciled to God, we're ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin. Now we call this the impeccability of Jesus Christ. He was impeccable, meaning he was without sin. Some people believe he was, because he was a man, he had sinful thoughts and he did sinful things. That's not true. You won't find that one time in the Bible. Not once. That's a man-made belief. Jesus was sinless. The only man on, in, in human history that had the right or the validity or ability to die for our sins was a man who had pure blood running through his veins. Sinless blood. That man was Jesus Christ. Was he a man? Absolutely. Did he have evil thoughts? No. Did he lust after women? No. Did women throw themselves at Jesus? Yes. We know this. They followed him. Flocked. Not one time did he sin. Not one time. And to think about this, and I'll close, who knew no sin. Sin was put on him. Mockery. After they'd beat him to a pulp, his face unrecognizable, they stuck him up on a cross, didn't they? They pierced his side to make sure he was dead. Prior to that, they put a sponge in a bucket. If you read that, sometimes you wonder what they're doing. And they put it up to his mouth. In that bucket was human feces, human waste. They put and stuck it to his mouth and shoved it in his face. That's what he did for us, right? And we know that. Who knew no sin? Not that he was a sinful man. Jeez, as we read last week, you know, for a righteous man, some would even dare to die. I mean, you're a good man that's really holy. I, this man is sinless. The son of God and how they treated him. 
You know, that centurion that stood at the foot of the cross and looked up, and his duty was to make sure Jesus was dead. And the earth went black, and the earthquake came, and the veil rent in twain. And he said, surely this was a righteous man. Surely this was the Son of God. That's who he did. He did that for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Today, my friends, remember this. You cannot work your soul to save, for that my Lord has done. But now I can serve like any slave for the love of God's dear Son. I don't work for my salvation. I work now. I minister now. I give my heart, soul, and blood to this church and do all that we can to try and reach more people with the gospel. Why? Because of what he did for me. I don't work for my salvation. It's not good enough. I can't bridge the gap. Jesus bridged the gap for you and for me. Now, in light of all of that, what love is this? It's a wonderful love. Jesus isn't twisting your arm today saying, serve me. If you feel that way, something's wrong with your relationship with Jesus. That's not him doing that. That's your own guilt and your own conscience and might even be the adversary. Twist feeling guilty about coming to church. Oh, I got, I got, I better do it unless I... you got to have a love. Lord, I want to. I get to. And when you spend time in this book and in time in prayer, I want to encourage you with that. I say it each week because it's so vital to your Christian life. You will not walk as you should. You will not be where you should in every relationship in your life, both emotionally, spiritually, mentally, if you're not in this book. I want to encourage you in that. Get in the book. When you spend time in the book, you'll realize, oh, the very least I can do is serve Him. Isn't that true? The very least. Paul says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice. And then he ends it with that. It's the least we can do. It's the very least. Friends, I want to encourage you with that. Remember Christ's love, what He did for you. It's amazing. Not work for my righteousness, but by His grace, He hath saved us. All right. Lord, we thank You for this morning and these people listening so intently. I thank You. I pray something said today was a help and a blessing. I know for me personally, Lord, how convicting it is, how often I don't follow through, and I'm not as obedient as I should. Considering what You've done for us, Lord, the very least we can do is serve You. Help us to do our part, Lord, with the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, and amen.